Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. It's good to see everyone. I've seen some faces for the first time in a few months. Um, some of you are watching online, we appreciate that also. <clears throat> uh, we're starting a new series this, this week called For Our City. I want to thank Pastor Clint for filling in last week. Appreciate that. And today's topic is the power of meekness. Now, as we look at our society, look at our culture, look at our communities, not just Smithsburg, some of you live other places, I see kind of three basic responses to the turmoil and the chaos that we see. One is resignation. Uh, it is what it is, and I can't do anything about it. Just kind of force my way to get through it. Another reaction I see is desperation. Um, I'm desperate. I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm going to lose my house. I've lost my job. I can't pay my bills. I've got some kind of illness. I may have COVID. Uh, it, just desperate. And then thirdly, I see we, and we see this, destruction. Just out of frustration, maybe. I don't know what the motivation is for destruction. But tear down instead of build up. And uh, <clears throat> many people have said this, hurt people hurt people. There's a lot of hurting people. And so con consequently, there's a lot of hurt going, being passed around. So the question is, for you and I, even if you're not a Jesus follower, but especially us that are Jesus followers, and if you're not, we're glad you're joining us. So what do we do? What's the answer? What's the solution? How should we, how should we respond? Well, we need to be a voice of hope. We need to be changed on the inside so that we can be change agents, change for good, change for positive. Another way to say it is we need to be God's response to the situation, to the turmoil and the chaos. So in this series, we're going to look at something called the Sermon on the Mount. This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he taught some really radical things, some really different things. And we're going to use those to help guide us in our response to what's going on in our cities, our culture, in our communities. <clears throat> now, we have to understand the situation when Jesus, uh, when, when Jesus lived in the first century. He lived in Israel, which was an occupied country. That's hard for us to comprehend. So the Romans occupied. They were in control, even though they were a foreign nation. And so... They were basically, you were basically a slave to these Romans, living in your own country. I can't imagine how difficult that must be. <clears throat> and the Romans did what they wanted. They raped and pillaged and charged whatever taxes. Actually, they hired tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors, to collect the taxes for them. And Matthew, who records the Sermon on the Mount for us, was one of those tax collectors that became a Jesus follower. And Jesus' message was basically about the inside. Now, they were looking for hope. The Jewish nation was looking for hope. They were desperate. And the Old Testament talks about this Messiah coming and setting up his kingdom. And so, the, all they could do is hope that Messiah would come and get rid of the Romans and set them free from the Roman uh, <clears throat> occupation. And so, Jesus comes along and starts teaching about a kingdom. But it was an eternal kingdom, internal kingdom. And they were wanting, of course, an external kingdom. And so Jesus needed to make his message clear. And it was a message that was hard to hear, as we're going to see this morning. But it was a message they needed to hear, especially in their situation, I think especially in ours. 
And basically it was, is your heart right? Because that's more important than what's going on around you, is is your heart right? If our heart's right, we can be positive change agents in our culture. So, uh, we got to be last April, April a year ago, we got to be in the Middle East, in, in Israel, and saw the place where the Sermon on the Mount took place. And I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. They were not our original, and so we couldn't find them. Uh, this first picture is from on, on the mount looking down. So you can imagine Jesus, and we're going to read, he's sitting when he teaches, and the crowd being down here below him, possibly thousands of people as he does his teaching. Now, it's fa- we can read it pretty fast, but some experts believe it might have been over several days he did this teaching or repeated this teaching through his ministry. Uh, out on the Sea of Galilee, this is the way it looks like, and we were actually out on a boat looking over the, this way. Um, so that's the scene that took place 2,000 years ago when Jesus did this teaching. So it's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and we're going to start right at the beginning in Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on the mountainside and sat down. Now the crowds had already kind of were encouraging him to declare, declare his king, kingdom, to, to cast out the Romans. So he took this opportunity to say, no, 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 that's not what my, my kingdom's about. My kingdom's about something bigger, more important, more life-changing. So his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now, teaching, uh, some of you are teachers, responsibility of teachers is to get the information out in a way that the person understands it and learns it. So there's teaching and learning. And so our part is to learn what is being taught. So they're called, uh, this first part is called the Beatitudes. I like to call them the beautiful attitudes, the attitudes you and I need to have as Jesus followers. <clears throat> so first one's in verse 3. We're going to read 3, 4, and 5. We're focusing on 5 this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? It doesn't mean poor financially. Uh, a lot of financially rich people may be poor in spirit. It means basically you are separated from God. You don't have spiritual life. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. So you need to recognize that. And so consequently, if you reach out to God for, we call it salvation, enter in a relationship with Him, then the kingdom of heaven is yours. When you die, you will go to spend eternity in heaven. So that's critical. That's a good starting point. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. I got to thinking, the scripture talks about Jesus uh, weeping over the city of Jerusalem. Now, let me just ask you, do you weep over your community? I, I believe we should. It should break our hearts when we see what's going on because it breaks God's heart. He said, but God will bring us comfort in, in, that, uh, in those times of mourning. <clears throat> and then we want to really focus in on this next verse. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, English word, uh, Greek words are hard to translate into English. So I'm going to put the amplified version of the Bible up. It tries to explain what that Greek word actually means in English. For example, what does blessed mean? Well, the amplified version gives us some insight into what it means. It means inwardly peaceful. It doesn't mean you have to have a smile on your face all the time. Blessed means you have an inner peace. Uh, the second part, spiritually secure. Do you feel spiritually secure? I think it's important if you're going to have inward peace. You and God are good. And 
That means God's done what He's needed to do to make you right with Him, and you need to do what you need to do to make your relationship with Him good. Accept His forgiveness, confess your sins, etc. And then this last part is going to be really important as we try and understand meekness. Self-controlled. Now, you must have something to control to have to control it. And so, that's going to be important. And it says, for they will inherit the earth. I'm, I'm, I'm jumped ahead I, to meek. I'm finished spiritually secure. Where are the respects, the other part? Now, meekness is kind-hearted, sweet-spirited, and self-controlled. Uh, inherit the earth. What does that mean? I, I was confusing to me. Uh, best I could find out from studying it, it means that as Jesus followers, one day we're going to inherit the earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to inherit it. It's going to belong to us. So a lot of what Jesus promises is not about this life, it's about the future. So what is meek? So he's instructed us to be meek. We'll just put that up on the screen. We're instructed to be meek. But what does meekness mean? A lot of people equate it to weakness. Even, even the dictionary does. And it doesn't mean that at all. I found that really strange. So here's the best definitions of meekness that I came across. It is strength or power under control. I'm going to illustrate that in a minute. Strength or extreme strength under complete control. A lot of power, complete control. That's what meekness means. Another way to say it is to be graciously restrained. So you have this power or this strength that you are being gracious and in your graciousness restraining it. That's what Jesus is instructing us to do. Now, think about Jesus. Was Jesus a weak person? He's the strongest person who ever lived. But he was the meekest person who ever lived because he had the power. He was God. He had the power of God, yet lived himself. He allowed himself to be crucified. He could have called down thousands of angels and, and not gone to the cross, but he graciously restrained himself. Probably the best illustration for us that to think about is, uh, you ever see a rodeo with the bunking, bucking broncos? I got corrected. Uh, the rider tries to stay on that horse for eight seconds. He's considered, he's won the battle with the horse if he stays on there for eight seconds, that's all. Um, but that same horse, once he's broken, that's the term I think they use, broken, then he, you, anybody can ride, a child can ride that horse. Does the horse still have the same power or strength? Absolutely. But now the horse is meek. It is under, that power is under control or graciously restrained. Um, someone we're going to, I'm going to quote a couple times in the message today is Martin Luther King Jr. He lived about a little over 50 years ago. He was, he was killed. Uh, we really need somebody like him, I believe, speaking up in our culture today. I don't know if you're aware, but this coming Saturday in, in Washington, D.C., there's going to be a, quote, unquote, prayer march uh, uh, led by um, Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham. You can go if you like. I'm going to watch it online. Um, I can even connect you with a bus that will be traveling down if you'd like to go. That's this Saturday. Uh, of course, Martin Luther King led a peaceful march in Washington, D.C., Here's one thing he said. Have we not come to such an impasse in this modern world <clears throat> that we must love our enemies or else? 
the chain reaction of evil. Notice that expression, the chain reaction of evil. Hate begetting hate, wars producing more wars, must be broken. So how do you break that chain reaction of evil? Or else we'll be plunged into the abyss of annihilation. It'll destroy us all. What happens with all of us is when we are pressured, what's on the inside is what comes out. Uh, if you have a, have a tube of toothpaste, you squeeze it, what comes out? Toothpaste, because that's what's inside. And so when we see all this hatred and this evil, that's because it's what's on the inside. And it seems impossible that, we, that things can be made right, things can get better. Why? Because we would describe it as the word sin, evil, separation from God. When you're separated with God, there's this hatred, internal hatred against God, I think, even against yourself. And consequently, it spills over into your other relationships. And so it's natural for us to see this kind of reaction in our society and in our culture and our communities until we deal with that sin issue. The Bible calls it as death. You are spiritually dead until you come to the place where you acknowledge that. Oh, yes, I'm spiritually poor. I need God to come in and bring life, bring a relationship with Him. And that's what He does. He gives life. He brings a change on the inside that when we are pressured, something different comes out. And one of the things that needs to come out is meekness. So what does meekness look like? Well, Jesus later in this chapter gives us three illustrations about how we can apply meekness. First one's this. To be, to be meek... We need to offer vulnerability when we are insulted. Now, in reality, Jesus' followers should have thick skin. Let me just put it that way. Um, when we become a Jesus follower, we give up our rights. We don't have any rights. Um, only what rights God allows us to have or gives to us. <clears throat> so, Consequently, we shouldn't be insulted. I mean, we all get insulted, but we shouldn't be insulted. We should offer vulnerability. Now, he uses a, a fascinating illustration. Later in that chapter, he says it this way. You've heard the law that says, that's their Bible, their Old Testament. We call it the Old Testament. That was their Bible. In the Bible, this is going to be familiar to you, uh, the punishment must match the injury. And he get, the, the quote's here from the Old Testament. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. All of you have heard that, right? So, it was to get, to even things out, but also to limit vengeance. So, you poke my eye out, I kill you, or poke two of your eyes out. No, no, no. Punishment matched the injury. No more, no less. That was Old Testament law. But Jesus is going to say, okay, I've got a radical, radically different approach, and that may seem okay, but as we're going to quote Martin Luther King Jr. in a minute, it really is not a good alternative if my eye is out to put your eye out. So he said, I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now this is not about the pain of the slap. This is about insult. It was probably a backhanded, backhanded to the cheek, which was a great insult in their culture. Um, so what's your natural reaction if somebody does that to you? 
Well, you want to hit them back. You certainly want to make them to take the insult back. Um, Jesus said, no, 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 no. In my kingdom, things operate differently. They actually operate better. They actually operate more effectively. He said, somebody insults you, let them insult you again because it's not about you. Natural response is to respond, to get even, to get back. The problem with that is what? You slap me, I slap you. What's your response going to be? You're going to slap me again, probably harder the next time. Then I'm going to slap you harder. So it tends to just escalate. Jesus says, no, 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 there's a better way. There's a better way to stop it, to stop it from escalating. There's a way to bring healing when there has been insult. And I'm going to use this phrase all through the, through the teaching this morning. Jesus is telling us to respond rather than react. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit in us to be able to do that, don't we? To not react, to not push back. It reminded me of something Paul, most of you know who Paul is, he wrote a lot of New Testament, he started churches around the uh, Roman Empire. And this letter was actually written to the church in Rome, the center of the Roman Empire. And he also quotes from his Bible, the Old Testament. Dear friends, never take revenge. Never try and get even. Wow. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scripture says, I will take vengeance. I will repay them back. I'll revenge, says the Lord. Now, I always think of this this way. I don't know how to get even often. What do I do to get even? And often, I don't have the power to get even if I understood how to get even and not go past even. So, he says, just leave it to me. God's all wise, all powerful. He can do what he needs to do. He can get vengeance. So, he says, instead of that, instead of trying to get even, what are you and I supposed to do? If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Another place, he just says, love your enemies. If you love your enemies, you're supposed to do that. Wow, that's really not a natural response, is it? And he summarizes the next verse. Don't let evil conquer you. So if somebody's evil to you, somebody that harms you, somebody insults you, when you give that back, you're just being as evil as they are. He said, don't leave, let evil conquer you, but conquer evil. What's the only way to conquer evil? By doing good, by being meek, graciously restrained. Martin Luther King, I love this. He says, the old law about an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. Ever think about that? That that doesn't accomplish anything. There's no positive results to that. The time is always right to do the right thing. It's always right to do what's right. Darkness can't drive out darkness. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Only light can do that. So we need to be light in the darkness. Hate cannot drive out hate. Makes sense, right? You hate me, I hate you back. Nothing. Only love can do that. And Jesus proved that by loving us enough to die for us. And so that's our example. And Jesus' followers were to be like Jesus. So we are to love those that may hate us. So that's one facet of meekness. Another facet of meekness is this, to be meek when you're in a dispute 
offer general strength. <clears throat> There's an adage in the Indian, uh, Far Eastern Indian culture. If a farmer, one farmer has no cows and his neighbor has two cows, he wishes his neighbor's cows, both his cows, to die. That's the evil inside of us. Rather than, well, it would be nice if both of us had a cow. He'd rather both his cows die because he has none. He doesn't want him to have any. Thought about this way. When your kids are small, some of you have small kids, and they're fighting over a toy, what do you want to do with that toy as a parent? <laughs> you just want to take it away from them and never let them have it again. Um, the end of dispute. But Jesus said, to be meek, when in dispute, offer gentle strength. Here's how he describes it. Pretty, pretty radical. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, let me explain this. <laughs> in their culture, you had an you know, undergarment shirt like we have today and an outer garment we call a coat. If you went to court and you lost, you owed somebody something, they could take your shirt as collateral, we would say, until you made the debt good. But they couldn't take your coat because it was often used like a blanket it was necessary for, for you to live. So that's the situation. You could lose in court, they take your shirt, but they couldn't take your coat. Jesus says, if they take your coat from you, if shirt from you, take your coat, give them your coat also. Offer them your coat. I, I know I owe you more than this. Um, let me give you my coat also. Now, is that human nature? That's not human nature. We want to preserve ourselves. Uh, we want to fend ourselves. So when you're in a disagreement with anyone, it doesn't have to be in court, how do you react? How do you res respond? Do you offer grace? Or do, do you listen? Or do you just defend yourself? He's saying, we need to be meek. We need to have gracious restraint. Again, respond rather than react. Uh, again, Jesus is our example. He didn't defend himself the last night when he was betrayed and he went to the cross and died for you and I. I want to give you a visual. I, one of the coolest definitions of meekness I came across was this. Let me give you a visual. I don't know if this is velvet or not. It's nice and smooth and like velvet. <laughs> All right? This is velvet, but I have something underneath here. This is a hammer, and it has a steel head. And this hammer is almost 50 years old, and that head is just as good, almost as good as new, all the banging I've used, it, used it on it. So the definition I came across is this. Meekness is velvet-covered steel. That head. That hammer could do a lot of damage, but it is restrained. A word we like to use is grace. Grace is giving people what they don't deserve. So if I get sued, I, they deserve my shirt, they don't deserve my, my coat. Um, my enemies don't deserve for me to give them food and drink. We are to do, I'm going to use this word, we are to surprise people with our lack of reaction, with our response. 
Another way to say it's this. Our responses must be counterintuitive, counter logic, counter feelings. We can't do what we feel like we should do or want to do. Not even getting even. That's not our job, not our responsibility. So, when we are addressed with anger, respond with kindness. When we are addressed with evil, respond with good. When we are addressed with hate, respond with love. Not natural. In fact, it has to be supernatural, doesn't it? For us to respond that way when we're treated that way. And one other example he gives us, another radical example. To be meek, we need to offer service to others' demands. Ever everybody demands something from you? Maybe somebody has the authority to do it. Maybe your boss. The boss demands you to do something. Doesn't feel very good, does it? You ever have a spouse demand something of you? A parent demands something of you? What's your natural response when somebody makes a demand? Just do the opposite. I, I, mine is anyway. So Jesus is, uses this fascinating illustration. Again, you need to remember, this is an occupied nation. They're occupied by the Romans. He says, if a soldier, a Roman soldier, comes along, demands that you carry his gear for a mile. All right. Anytime a Roman soldier wanted, he could say, hey, you, come carry my, my gear. For, not literally a mile. It was actually 1,943 steps. All right. I don't know about you, but if it was me, I'd pick that that up. I had no choice but to pick it up. And I'd start counting. And when I got to 194, 1,940, 41, 42, 43. That, that, that pack's over. That, that's done. And I'm going to walk away resenting the fact that I spent, had to walk that ways and I was forced to do that. What does Jesus say to do? Hey, you want me to carry that for you another mile? I'd love to. Glad to. That's not natural, is it? That's meekness. Legally, I can drop this after one mile. But I'm going to show you something different. I'm not going to react with bitterness and resentment. I'm going to respond. I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to offer you Grace, something you don't deserve. So, hopefully your spouse doesn't demand anything of you, but if, if he or she does, how are you going to respond? Those of you who have, have too many children in here, but your parents, basically their rules are demands, right? How do you respond? Your boss, maybe you have an unreasonable boss. I don't know who your boss is. How do you respond? Jesus says to offer grace. Respond, again, respond rather than react. Do, basically it's this, do more than expected. Do you do more than expected? Uh, at home with your family? Uh, at work with your job? Here at church? I used the example in the first service. Uh, John Gates has a crew, and they cut the grass. It always looks great. To me, they do more than expected, and they're just volunteers because 
They love God, they love His church, and they want it to look nice. More than expected. Does that describe you and your life? So he said, it boils down to this. He says, respond with an attitude to serve. I'm here to serve. That's why I'm here. And Jesus is our example. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, even though I'm God, and everybody should bow down to me. I came to serve. And the, the most radical example we have is he, he washes the disciples' feet just hours before he goes on trial and then eventually gets crucified. Can you imagine our reputation if we live that way? Our reputation as individuals, our reputation as Jesus followers, our reputation as, as a church, our reputation as the church. I can guarantee our communities don't see us that way, do they? We've got work to do. And the Beatitudes start with this word, blessed. Do you want to be blessed? We'd all say, yes, yes, yes. I want to have that internal peace. Well, one of the big ways to do that is to be meek by God's power. One last thing from Martin Luther King, Jr. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. For our city. Is God for our city? Is He for Smithsburg? Some of you live in Hagerstown, Waynesboro. Is God for that city? Another way to say, is God for the people in that city? Absolutely. He sent His Son Jesus to die for every person in our community. We know that. Those of us are Jesus followers. And the reason we're here is to be God's response to the evil in the world the hurt, the pain, the chaos. So when you pray, God, fix this, what's God say? What's God's answer? That's why you're here. First and foremost, we need to pray. Hopefully you pray for your community, you pray for your leaders. Jesus told us to pray for our enemies. How often do we do that? I know personally I don't do it as much as I should. I'm going to give you a lead, uh, something to think about this week. Besides striving to be a meek person, imagine if you offered meekness to the pain around you. We all hopefully see the pain around us. First and foremost, I see the pain of those that don't know Jesus. And I can share the good news. I can show light in their darkness, to share hope to those who are hopeless, whether it's because of their financial situation, health situation, whatever it might be. Just imagine what it would look like if all of us would offer meekness to the pain around us. We'll continue with this series again next week. Hopefully you can join us. Let me pray with you and let you go. Oh, Father God, this is... This is, this is tough. Uh, Jesus came with a completely different radical message, counterculture we could call it, counterintuitive, to not respond in like kind, not to strike back, not to defend ourselves, to offer grace. Now, we should understand that, those are Jesus followers, because we've received it. We need to offer it. And God, we want to be part 
those solutions to the chaos and the pain in our society. Show us how we can do that. And as always, we want to pray for anyone that, that is separated from God. Uh, again, described as death. You can be born or born again into life by accepting God's gift. You need to admit that you're a sinner. You need forgiveness and invite Jesus in. Uh, it can be done in an instant. If that's your attitude, that's your spirit, thank Jesus for coming and saving you. Um, we thank you, God, that you provide for that initial step of salvation, but also empower us to live this life, transformed life, this life of meekness, this life of love. We thank you in Jesus' name.